The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. Next on Life Today. The first person to be treated for Ebola on U.S. soil, medical missionaries Dr. Kent Bradley and his wife share the miraculous story of God's provision and healing. That is how I see God saving my life. All of those pieces that came together to provide me with the care that I received, it was a very unlikely, uh, improbable series of events when I was about to die. James. And you know, I tell you a lot, I like to look at you, I love your smile. You know, <laughs> but this, this, this studio is just full of they beautiful, are. smiling women. They and are. It's all, they beautiful sweet. audience. They look yeah. like they're sweet like you. I mean, they do, they really do. And then we got the, the most wonderful woman here that's so sweet. And her husband is just a miracle. And uh, this whole situation's a miracle. We've got uh, Dr. Kent Brantley and his, his wife, uh, Amber, with us. And uh, they have a book that I think the story, which you know a little bit about the story, but you don't really know a whole lot about it, but it's, it's a real miracle story. And I would just say, I will, I will say publicly as part of the introduction that I, I looked at him a little while ago. We were, we were just enjoying some time together alone. And I said, the love of God, it really flows in your countenance and who you are. And you know, uh, he's a miracle because he did live uh, through Ebola. And he was there to help the people with this incredible situation as a medical missionary. And uh, you prayed for him. And they, they want to share what, what they're learning and what they believe the Lord wants us all to learn. So let's welcome the Brantleys. Would you welcome Kent and Amber for life today? Glad to see you. you. You became very well known, which was totally unexpected in the way in which it happened. It was not only unexpected, it was very uninvited. Uh, just go ahead and go ahead and capsule. Here's a man, and you know, we hardly knew what a, Ebola was, but it, it didn't take us long to realize it was terrifying. It was almost so terrifying that you, you, even now you're going to measure your words so that you make sure people understand they don't need to live in panic. But just capsule what happened to you when you went with Samaritan's Purse as basically a medical missionary. It was in your heart. And what happened? Amber and I both felt that God had called us to be medical missionaries lifelong medical missionaries. And we got our start, after finishing my medical training, we got our start on the mission field through the Samaritan's Purse post-residency program. And we had a two-year assignment in Liberia. We moved there in October of 2013 with a plan to be there for at least two years. And after being there about five months, the news hit the headlines of an Ebola outbreak in the neighboring country of Guinea, and it very quickly spread into Liberia. And at our small mission hospital, Elwa Hospital, run by the SIM Mission Agency, we began preparing for the worst case scenario. We ended up not seeing a, an Ebola patient in our facility until June of 2014, so about three months after the outbreak was first identified. 
but once we began treating patients at our facility, we became the treatment center in Monrovia, a city of a million people. And in our little five-bed isolation unit, we began treating patients with Ebola. After about seven weeks of day in, day out, around the clock, caring for patients with Ebola, I woke up sick. And three days later, uh, received the definitive diagnosis of Ebola virus disease. How, how did that hit you the minute you found that out? Because you as a doctor at least had some idea how serious it was. It, it felt like a death sentence. It was a very surreal moment when my friend Lance was talking to me through the window. My friend John was standing beside my bed and in, in full personal protective equipment, of course. And Lance said, Kent, bud, test is positive. Where were you, Amber? I was in Texas, and I had just um, come home for my brother's wedding three days before he started having a fever and feeling bad, um, and just for a visit. And he was going to join us the next week to come to the wedding, and then we would all go back to Liberia and re-engage in the fight. <laughs> Things changed. Yeah. We haven't been back yet. <laughs> yeah. What uh, take us on the journey because you know, like you said, you felt like you got a death sentence. We got the word of it here in the states and around the world. In the, our program, Life Today airs around the world, and we knew what was happening. People were praying for you. The connection with Samaritan's Purse because we have actually partnered with Samaritan's Purse in various projects over the years, uh, from the very beginning when Frank Franklin started. Because I've known the family a long time, but you. You were on our heart, and then it was, in a way, like a miracle happened when you were able to actually come back because Samaritan's Purse had enough connections to be able to talk about possibilities to do this. And you'd have to say it was a miracle that it even happened with a, a definite interest on the part of Franklin and Samaritan's Purse leadership that you were able to come. So how do you explain what began to take place? Well, first, I, I want to be sure I take an opportunity to tell all the people in this audience, thank you for praying for, for me and for us. Mm -hmm. And that is, that is a sincere thanks from my heart because I know that there were thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people around the world praying for us in the midst of, of what seemed like our crisis. Uh, but Samaritan's Purse gave every effort to to take care of me. Franklin called Amber just less than an hour after my diagnosis and told her, we don't know what this is going to mean, but we're going to do everything we can to take care of Kent. And, and they did. And it took not only the, the effort and resources of Samaritan's Purse, but the United States State Department and Emory University Hospital and Phoenix Air Group and so many entities that came together to do what had never been done before and to fly a sick Ebola patient across the Atlantic Ocean and put him in a hospital in, in Atlanta. All right, when you look back, because you did experience the miracle of getting well, how do you explain that? A lot of people are praying for you, a lot of people working with you. You're a medical doctor. I believe you're a very compassionate Christian. I believe both of you are. I believe you love people because you love God. So what do you see unfolding here, and what do you want people to hear from the journey that you've been on? What do you, what do you want to pass on 
that would enable us to better understand the heart of God and the will of God. When I was discharged from the hospital, I, I made a statement. I said, God saved my life. And I stand by that statement. I, I believe God saved my life. But it's not a simple issue for me. And I know that there are a lot of people that took issue with that statement. They felt like that was a really arrogant statement for a guy to make when he received an emergency evacuation and experimental medication, some of the best medical care available anywhere in the world. But I'm not, I'm not denying those things. I, that is how I see God saving my life. All of those pieces that came together to provide me with the care that I received, it was, it was a very unlikely, uh, improbable series of events. And, and it was not just things that happened in the moment. We often look at the miracles of God and we say it has to be a momentary supernatural occurrence. But the people at Emory University Hospital have been preparing for 12 years to treat a patient like me and they had never had a sink. They had two cases during that 12 years that turned out to be false alarms. They had never had a patient who actually had a serious communicable disease like their unit was set up to treat, but they kept practicing. And, and there were so many other pieces to the puzzle like that. The fact that this experimental drug that was grown in tobacco plants in a greenhouse in Kentucky had never been given to a human being before, and they had just made enough of it for the monkey trials and a little extra, and some of that medicine for that rare disease ended up at my bedside in Liberia when I was about to die. So you're saying God does things through yielded vessels. Mm -hmm. And, and one, of the, one of the scientists who, who helped develop the, the drug that I received, ZMAP, said, I, I now see that the miracles of God are in the details over decades. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, a, a beautiful observation. Yes, it is. So it wasn't just prayer, it was people who were also putting their hand to the plow to try to find something that might in some way alleviate suffering. And really, the God who created us in his image has put at our disposal that which he created to be used for the benefit of others and his glory. And that is precisely what was happening. I believe if a physician looks with the heart of God, which I sense that both of you do, you're going to be looking with the, the healer's heart you're going to be wanting to pass on what the great physician would pass on. So you're diligently working in that. I think that probably was the reason you went to the mission field in the first place. You went over there to assist and alleviate suffering, am I right? As well as to share the gospel. We did, and I, I always go back to compassion as one of, one of our main motivators for going to do what we did and, and what, we, what we want to return to doing. Compassion, the compassion that Jesus showed to people, and the, the root of that word means to suffer with, to, to set aside your own right to safety and comfort and to enter into the suffering of others. And I think that's what he calls us to when he says, love your neighbors as yourself. He said there are two important things in this life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think it's that sense of compassion, of being willing to set aside your own good to enter into the suffering of another, to, to show compassion to them. I think that's what he is talking about when he says, love your neighbor. And that's, that's what we want our lives to be about. 
Amber, what do you see, two of you heading now? What do you see? God's kind of given you a, the world to speak to, and you did a marvelous job, both of you. Every time we saw you, you magnified Jesus. There was no vain glory. You cared about others. What do you see the Lord doing now? I think that our, we'll go back to our original calling, and he has sent us as medical missionaries to a foreign setting, foreign to us. Um, so that's really what we hope and dream and are praying about doing, and we're, we're just waiting. We're waiting on him to show us where that will be and when. What do you say to people, uh, Doc, when they, they say, well, we didn't get well, and we lost our loved one. We lost a, a daughter that had as much faith as is possible for a human being I believe to have and had seen miracles, and yet she lost the battle to cancer while all of you love us and knew prayed with us. What do you say to them? I've been asked that question of why, why you? Why, why do you get to live when 11,000 other people have died in this outbreak? And I don't, I can't give a satisfactory answer to that question. I can't find a satisfactory answer to the question why. The question I can answer is, so what now? I am alive, so how will I use this life that I've been given? And I think that's the question really that all of us answer, whether we recognize we're being asked that question or not. We answer that question with how we live, whether we've had a near-death experience or not. We're being asked, what are you going to do with this life you have? And that, I, I can't find the answer to why, but I, I will give an answer to so what now. And it is about, we, could, we won't get the answer to why always. But it, it is about, God, you've put us on a journey. You've set us in a direction. Now, what do you want to do with us on this journey? How can we best convey the love that you've put in our hearts and the compassion that you've talked about to, to demonstrate it to others? Because there's so many hurting people out there, not only physically, but spiritually, and they're lost. And God says, let me point you in the direction. I've got someone waiting to hear what I've done in, in your heart. So I think that is the key, that we just be available to him and be full of his love and be prepared for what he wants us to do. That's a question that I'll continue to wrestle mm -hmm. with, though, because it was not 11,000 nameless, faceless people that died of this disease. Yeah. They were my patients. They were my friends. Some of them were my coworkers. And so it... It is not a question to be blown off. It is, it is one that I, I will wrestle with for the rest of my life, but that's, you're right, that's where I land now is, okay, what, what would God have me do now? You know, let me just say, since uh, I'm on the end and the, we're a part of the ones that didn't see the miracle we all hope for, and we know many prayed, but here's what I do know. This week, our daughter, who is very much with Jesus and was very much with Jesus here, her son, who graduated from Baylor in May, is this week going to Angola on a mission trip with our mission team. And his name is Chris Christopher. And he is a great leader. And he's going back to work in the church at Church on the Move in Tulsa where he played quarterback and played in the outfield and was now he's going back to coach and to be an example. His pastor, Willie George, 
said Chris is the greatest leaders I've ever known. The other two children, the youngest daughter, Callie, and the middle one, Cody, they're working with young people at the church right now. Callie said, I'm not even going to go to college. I'm just going to help kids. And she's just like her mother. And dad is on the leadership board. And I've said, Ken, you show us Jesus. Here's a family that didn't get to see what we hoped. But what he hopes for all of us, we're seeing in that family. That would be our daughter's hope. That's mom's hope and dad's hope. So what I'm saying to you, because the Brantleys had this incredible compassion expression as we talked of care for everybody that didn't have the same miracle story because he's a physician and he knows a broken heart and a heavy heart and a hurting heart is in need of healing and health just like the physical body. So I simply say to you, your faith didn't fail. Nobody else's did. We don't need to blame the medical community. We don't need to blame our decisions or anything. We just say, Lord God, with this difficult moment, this, this challenging situation, this valley of the shadow, be who you are. Let a world in great darkness see the greatness of your grace and your sufficiency. And wouldn't you say, Dr. Brantley, and, and wouldn't you say, Amber, this is what people need to hear? that we have an opportunity to magnify him. And don't you want to see that? Absolutely. Him, Mac, well, we've seen it in you and to all of you and what we're seeing with our daughter. It was not a life lived in vain and yours must not be. We give glory to God. Do you appreciate the Jesus that you see in this couple and the miracle that he not only, the miracle that he not only performed in Dr. Brantley and in others, but the miracle he wants to perform through you. Just know you are here by divine assignment. You're here for purpose. And let God use you. You know, our viewers, you know, you're talking about missions. Our viewers love missions. They're the most unique people, you know. They, I don't think they watch live today to hear me. I think maybe you want to see if Betty says something. Because like, <laughs> you know, we just want to hear Betty. But I do know this about you, and I want to thank you. I believe you like to show people Jesus. And I believe that if you think Jesus would do something, and you could, for him, you would. Here's something you can do. You can save lives. You can give them water for life and point them to the water of life. I want you to watch because I think you're going to want to do it. Life Outreach travels the world to the most remote areas of need where water is scarce and clean water even more so. God's Word says faith without works is dead. So love is put to action in a tangible way. And you are part of that. Every meter drilled down, every rise and fall of a hand pump. But as we spend time with those in need, listening to their stories, what often surfaces is pain so deep and hope so absent, no water well can lift their hearts or heads. Fortunately, 
we come with the one who can lift hearts and heads. But I recognize that you died for my sins. When you give the thirsty a drink, you give it unto Jesus. But we are compelled to introduce them to him as well. And miraculously, hearts broken from children lost begin mending. Tears of pain turn to joy as they taste of eternal water. And again, you are part of that. You send us. You send Jesus in us. And it is with great joy we go. For while the transformation in families and villages, their futures brings great fulfillment. Little compares to the joy and reward of their eternal future secured. At times, we have posed the question, what would you do if this was your family in need? Well, guess what? Many of these are family now and forever. May it never end. And it is forever. He gives us eternal life. We don't get it when we die. We get it when we receive the source of eternal life, when we receive Jesus. You know, that was a grandson there with his little wife of one year on the mission field, our oldest grandson, Luke, and, and uh, his wife, Cassie. It was beautiful to see them. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I... Uh, I just uh, want to say thank you for helping us give hope to villages like that. And the beautiful thing is, we not only feed the hungry or give water to the thirsty, but we point them to Jesus. And Betty, when they've seen the love of God so clearly expressed to meet a legitimate need, then they listen to us when we talk to them about Jesus. They really do. And thank you so much for that because I feel like that you want us to show you the needy, those that are hurting, those that are on the edge of death because it's they don't have the water that they need, the pure water. They drink the diseased water because that's all that they have. I believe God loves all the little children of the world and he cares about each one of us. And he hears the heart cry of those precious little ones when they whimper. He hears the heart cry of that mother as she's watching her child die because of lack of water. And I believe you hear the heart of God as you say, I wanna help, I wanna be a part of that because God is pleased when he hears that come from our heart. Won't you join with us and let's drill these water wells so we can see the children, as we saw at the beginning, jumping around in the water, pumping that water up and so happy. It's water for life and then we present the water of life and that's Jesus Christ. And you could actually see them trusting Christ. You know, people feel love when they really see it demonstrated and that's what you enable the missionaries to do. They, they tell us, the viewers of life today all over the world, they let us stay here and share the love of God, not just in word only, but in deed, in action. So would you please right now, would you help us drill those 500 wells in 12 different countries? It'll be an answer to so many people's prayer and heart cry. You can go to lifetoday.org and many of our viewers now are doing that. You go online and make the gift. Use your bank card like a check. If you dial the number there on the screen, take your bank card, use it like a check, and make the largest gift you can. The wells are averaging $4,800 a piece. Many of our viewers say, 
We want to drill one. Each year we want to do that, and some do it. Perhaps you can, or you can give a part of that, 12 or 2,400, and immediately say, God, help someone match it, or three others join me. We got a well. Most of the support comes from people who give $48. When you break it down, that's like giving 10 people water the rest of their life. $144, which many are able to do, gives 30 people water for life. We have some gifts to send you to say thank you, to help you draw closer to the Lord in devotion, in prayer, and in your witness. Well, what you're doing right now is you're expressing the love of God in action. Please go online or dial the number and make the gift God put on your heart. You're giving life. And we thank you so much for doing it. Remember, this is the last week for this emphasis on the 500 wells. Really need to hear from you if you can help. So please communicate with us. And thanks for your gift. Every day, millions of children are forced to make a dreadful choice. Drink filthy, polluted water filled with deadly disease or die from thirst. No child should ever be faced with this decision. The good news is there is a solution. Mission Water for Life is one of the most exciting and viable demonstrations of God's love in the world today. Suffering can end because clean water changes everything. With your gift today, we can establish and drill 500 water wells for remote villages in over 12 different nations. Your gift of $24 will help provide clean water for five people. A gift of $48 will help provide for 10 people. $72 will impact 15 people. And $144 will help provide fresh, clean, disease-free water for 30 people for a lifetime. With your gift, you'll receive the Everyday A New Day devotional. Broken out into the four seasons of the year, this daily devotional features scriptures, inspirational thoughts, a Bible reading plan, and a place for you to journal each day. With your gift of $100 or more, you may request the Names of Jesus pen set, one inscribed with the names of Jesus found in Scripture, and the other reflecting the gifts of the Spirit. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,200 to help provide water for 250 people, or a gift of $4,800 to help sponsor a complete well, and request this beautifully framed canvas print of The Forest Chapel by Thomas Kincaid. This is the last week. Please call, write, or make your gift online. Well, Betty and I want to say thank you, and I'm, I'm thanking, and we'll all together thank the Brantleys, but I want to let you know the book is in the bookstores. You can get it in the stores, or you can go online. But if you'd say, James, we'd like to have it, would you mind sending it to us? We will. We simply ask you to let us know if you helped us in any way to drill those water wells. Just say, James, would you mind sending it to me? We'll gladly send it to you. Would you join Betty and me in saying thanks to the Brantleys for being here? And thanks to God for His grace. It's great to see you. Thank you all. Back to the missionary field, the mission field. You stay in touch with us. Thank you for watching. Thanks for helping us share life.
Religious freedom is under attack. Kelly Shackelford tells the church it's time to stand next week. They're wanting to do what churches do, and now the government is against them. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.